Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Aren't you glad that God hasn't forgotten us? Amen, eh? Thank you, worship team. Uh, I am Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so excited this morning because I have the privilege, because it is a privilege, to open God's Word. And I believe this with all of my heart, that every time we open God's Word, God has something for us. Do you believe that? And so this morning, we're going to open God's Word, and listen to me, you're not here by chance or coincidence, and the reason I know that is because God does not work that way. He doesn't. He has something for you. He wants you to listen. And so my prayer is this, is that you would listen, but I just listen to what God says. Because so often we listen to it and it goes in one ear and out the other. My prayer is this, that we'd listen to it and it would hit our hearts and we would live it out. This past week as I was getting ready, I was really feeling a heaviness and I was just praying and, and God reminded me of Ephesians chapter six when Paul says this, it is not a battle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness. It's not physical, it's spiritual. And what God wants you to hear this morning is this, is if you've come thinking physically, I'm gonna pray that you change that. Because what we're gonna deal with today, I know this, that if we take it and we apply it, listen to me, we are declaring war on Satan. Because he knows if we, if we live this out, he's gonna lose control in your life. And I've been around long enough, I know how Satan works. I read the Bible, and what he's going to do is this. He's going to try to distract you. You're going to worry about the cares of this week. You're going to worry about where you're going for lunch. You're going to worry about family stuff. And not that those things aren't worries. But I'm going to pray that just for this moment, we're going to be able to set them aside, and we're going to be able to listen to God. Because if you're not here to listen to God and live out what he's going to challenge you with, then you're wasting your time. I'm not being rude, I'm just saying the facts. Because God has something for you, something for all of us. So, let me pray, and let's jump into this this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the privilege we have just to gather as a church family and to sing worship and praise to you because you rightfully deserve it. But in these next few moments, I know that you have something for every one of us, and so you want us to listen and live this out. But I know that the enemy does not want that. And so I pray with all of my heart right now that you would just bind him from this place. Lord, I pray that we would just really focus on your presence and what you have for us this morning. May we lay aside all the worries of the week, all the distractions. They'll be there after the service. We can pick them right back up. But Lord, in these next few moments, we pray that you would speak very clearly to us. And not as if we would just listen to it, but you give us the courage to live it out. And Lord, I pray from the bottom of my heart, that you would get me out of the way. Because Lord, you are the potter, and I am the clay. And I thank you so much for that privilege. And we pray, amen. I don't know if most of you know this, but um, I try to run every morning. Now, if you had told me five years ago that I would run, I would have laughed at you. Uh, that just wasn't gonna happen. In fact, the only running I ever did was from my couch to my fridge and back to my couch again, all right? Now, I got to admit, I was pretty fast. I had to move up those stairs pretty fast because you know you got to get the fridge, grab your snack, get back down there. Commercials aren't that long, all right? So I could do that pretty good. 
But here's the thing that's interesting is this, is I want to go back to what I said earlier. I try to run every morning. And I really want to emphasize the word try. Because there are very few mornings, if any, that I actually want to do it. I do it because I know I should do it. And it is so tough rolling out of that warm bed and going outside in the cold and running. It is not fun. It's not. And the first half a kilometer, for those who run, you know this, that is so tough. It's the time I'm asking myself why. Why am I putting myself through this? And why would anyone put themselves through this? Remember when I first started running, that was the most painful part because when I would run, what happened is this, is every part in my body would just ache and I'd be like, I just want to go home and I want to give up. But as tough as it was, what I would do is this, is I would push through the pain. And the reason why is because I focused on the future benefits. Now, if I'm being honest with you, that is the reason why I keep showing up every morning. Because I have the end in mind. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I think life is like that. There are highs. We're on top of the world. But there are also lows. And in those moments, we really struggle. And we ask the question, why? And here's the thing that's interesting, too. For those of us who are Christians... I think we experience the same kind of thing in our Christian lives because let's face it, we have these mountaintop experiences where God seems so close to us. But we also have those dark valley moments where God seems distant and far away. And it's in those moments we begin to ask questions. Why? Where? How? Why is this happening? Where is God in all of this? And how can I possibly keep going? Well, this morning, what I want to do is this, is I want to give us some hope and some tools to keep going, especially when times get tough. And the writer of Hebrews actually gives us some hope on this whole issue. And what he does is this, is he paints a a picture of the Christian life as a race. And so this morning, we're going to park ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 1 to 3. If you've got your Bibles or your phone or your iPad, that'd be great. I want you to see this. If not, don't worry, because it's going to be on the screen, all the verses. But these are some verses that are very familiar to us. In fact, when I read them, you're going to go, oh yeah, I remember these verses. In fact, when I was a kid, I remember this was what I would say was my life verse. What I kept coming back to. And it was actually Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But I threw 3 in this morning because it's just a great verse. All right? So it's Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 to 3. Let me uh, read this to you. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter or the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
In this passage, the author of Hebrews explains how we are to run this race called the Christian life. And as you read this passage, there are three things that I think kind of pop out to us that'll kind of help us to run this race effectively. And it comes down to this. It comes down to where you look. It's all about where you look. The first thing that uh, the writer of Hebrews says is this. He says, you've got to look at the finishers. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, a lot of people say, well, who are these cloud, who is this cloud of witnesses? Well, we were introduced to them in the previous chapter. Because if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, what you'll see is this, is you'll see the heroes of faith. Those who have finished the race and have finished strong. Men and women who have gone before us. Now, when we read this passage, when I was a kid, I always read this passage and we have, I had this idea that these witnesses were watching me from heaven as I ran this race. Like people sitting in a stadium watching But as I did some study this week, it's interesting, that is not actually the case. Because the words witnesses here does not mean spectators. Get this, our English word for martyrs come directly from this word that's translated in the Greek, witness. So get this, these people are not actually witnessing what we are doing, but they are examples to us of what God can do through us. This is really important. So instead of them looking at us, we are called to actually look at them and learn. Let me give you an example. If you're having problems with your family, we need to read the story of Joseph because he went through that. If we think our job is too big for us, we need to to study the life of Moses because God called him to this great thing that was far bigger than him, but God showed up and God walked him through that and he finished strong. If you're tempted or if we're tempted to retaliate uh, when someone hurts us, look at the life of David and how he dealt with this because he ran for his life for 10 years from Saul. See, the great thing is the Bible is full of people who struggle in the same way we do, but they finished strong. And the reason why God's given us the Bible is this, is so that these people would encourage encourage us and motivate us and inspire us with hope. Hope that in the way that God used them, he also desires to use us. And so as we run this race, the writer of Hebrews wants to make it very clear. As you run, look at the finishers. Look at those who have gone before you, who have finished strong, because they understand, because they've been through it. And if we can learn from their examples, that is great. In fact, that's the reason that God gave us his word. Okay. The second thing the writer of Hebrews says is this. Is don't only look, not only look at the finishers, but here's, and this is a painful thing, we have to look at ourselves. It says this, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. As we look at ourselves, we notice two things that slow us down. And the first thing I want to look at this morning is actually the second one in the verse. And it's this, the sin that so easily entangles. You know, being a pastor, what I've noticed in the church is this, is we don't like to talk about sin. Do you know why? Why? Because it makes us feel uncomfortable. 
Do you know why it makes us feel uncomfortable? It's because we all struggle with it. But this is what I want us to get this morning. Just because it makes us feel uncomfortable doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. We need to talk about it because it's an issue that all of us struggle with. In fact, I really like the word that the author of Hebrews uses here when he describes sin. It's this idea of entangling. Because you know why? That's what sin does in our lives. When you agree with me, it's kind of like a web. The more you get into it, the more entangled you get, and the more it traps us. In fact, I believe this, that there is a process to sin. There's a process. In fact, another author in the Bible talks about this, James. And in James chapter 1, he gives us the process of sin. And I want you to get this, because it's very interesting. It says it's in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so in this passage, James actually gives us a process. And he says the process begins with desire. This is where we are baited by temptation. Satan tempts us by playing with our emotions. And then we move to deception. Have you ever noticed that Satan makes sin more alluring than it really is? Have you notice that? No temptation appears like a temptation. It's an attack on our intellect because it causes us to begin to rationalize. And then what happens is this, as we move to disobedience, involving our will, as we approve and we act on that temptation. But get this, James gives us the final stage. And I don't want you to miss this. He says the final stage of sin is death. Because sin that is undealt with always not sometimes, not most of the times, sin that is unconfessed and undealt with always leads to death. Now, this is what I want us to get this morning. If we understand this process, this is the way that we can throw off the sin that easily entangles us. That's how we do it. Because listen to me, Sin is more than a single act. For so long, we think, well, I've sinned, it's a single act, I move on. No, it's actually a process. It goes from desire to deception to disobedience to death. And the reason why James gives us this and the reason why James exposes this is because he knows if we understand how sin works, then we have a better chance of resisting it and throwing it off. Because usually what we see is we, we, we usually recognize it in the disobedience. But if we can go, oh, no, no, it starts with desire and then deception, and we can kind of cut it off here, then when the writer of Hebrews says, throw off the sin that entangles us, it is so easy, it's much more easier to do. Wouldn't you agree? Right. Second thing, as we look at ourselves, is this 
is the author of Hebrews says, we have to throw off everything that hinders, okay? These are two separate things. There's sin and there's things that hinder. Now, these things aren't sinful, but they distract us from running the race effectively. Remember, I had opportunity a few years ago to go to a prayer conference and Erica and, and, and Jim Train were there too. And uh, it was at the, the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. That's where Billy Graham's ministry was situated. And I'll never forget one of, those, uh, one of those sessions, one of the preachers actually talked on this passage. And when he got to this verse, what he said to us was this, is I don't want to talk about the sin that entangles us. And the reason I don't want to talk about it is because every one of us in this room knows the things, the sin that entangles us. We know that. And so what he said was this, for the rest of the time, what I want to focus on is I want to focus on everything that hinders. Because so often what happens is this, is we really miss these and we dismiss them and say, oh, it's not a bad thing, I'm not really sinning, but they distract us. And so at the end of the message, Eric and Jim, I don't remember this. At the end of the message, he said this. He said, I want, to take a few mo- I want you to take a few moments, and I want you to ask God to reveal to you those things that hinder you in your life. And he gave us about 15, 20 minutes. And so everyone's got their heads bowed, and I thought, well, I'm a pastor. I better do this, right? And so I said, okay, God, what are some things in my life that aren't sin, but what are some things that are hindering me? Things that you want me to get rid of. And so I sat there for about five, six, seven minutes. And you know what? God actually spoke to me. And God showed me something. And I want to show you what it is. I actually brought it this morning. It's this. You're like, Dave, it's a can of Coke. I know what it is. And drinking Coke is not a sin. Drinking Pepsi, that's another story, okay? (laughs) I'm just saying, that's, you have to repent of that one, all right? That's the sin that entangles. But anyways, it's a can of Coke. Now, the thing that I realized is this, is God brought it to my mind because God revealed to me that this was hindering me from what God wanted me to do. Now, some of you are like, it's just a can of Coke, Dave. Let me tell you how much Coke I was drinking as a youth pastor, all right? Now, don't judge me. I don't want to hear, oh, I can't believe this, okay? I've given it up, all right? I was drinking, and my wife will agree with this, Every day, at least, at least four cans. I said don't gasp. <laughs> no, it was bad, I know. Now, here's the, here's the thing, is I didn't drink it in the morning, okay, because that was just wrong, all right? I waited till noon, okay? But at noon, my job is pretty stressful dealing with young people, okay? I'm just saying, no. At noon, what I would do is this, is I would drink a can. At three o'clock, I would drink another can. And then I would go home, and I would drink, before I went to bed, a 710-milliliter bottle. 
That's two cans. Okay, so four cans roughly every day. As you can imagine, the sugar and the caffeine really sent me for a loop. But here's the thing is every morning what I would do when I get up is I would basically crash. I would. And I couldn't do that much. And so God was saying to me, Dave, you know what? This is hindering me, you from doing what I want you to do. And that was a pretty pivotal moment in my life. And when God speaks to me, I'm kind of extreme. My wife will laugh at me all the time. She goes, she's like, you're just totally extreme. I'm like, I know, I know. There's certain things that I go way over here. When I could be right here, I go way over here. And so what I decided to do is this. That's it. I'm quitting. I'm going cold turkey. Now remember this. I am drinking four cans a day, and then I am done. Yeah, you're all going, whoa, because you know. Because in hindsight, that probably wasn't the best idea. My body went through major withdrawal. I feel bad for my doctor because I kept going and saying, I'm falling apart. He goes, Dave, he says, you were so addicted to caffeine and sugar that you're not getting it anymore and your body is just craving it. And all I can say is this, is my body was doing some pretty crazy things. My wife thought, you've lost it, right? And some pretty painful things. I remember one point I'm sitting there and literally, I'm not sure if this is true, but it felt like it. Every muscle in my body would ache at some point because it was happening, I guess, because... A doctor explained this to me, and I could be wrong, but the sugar and caffeine was being pulled out of the muscles because it's so, my body so wanted that caffeine and sugar. Now, here's the thing. To make a long story short, as you can tell, I survived. Okay? But here's the thing I want you to get, is when I, when I got it out of my system, I realized that what God was calling me to was true because it was hindering me. It was causing me to be ineffective. It wasn't a sin but it was something that was hindering me. Now, I want you to get this. The point is not about whether or not you should drink pop, okay? The point is this, is that we need to make sure that the things in our life that are hindering us, we need to remove. They're not necessarily bad, but they're distracting us from running effectively. I'm not going to get you to do it now, but maybe when you get home, you may just say, okay, God, I know the sins that entangle me, but what are the things that hinder me? And whatever God puts on your mind, I want to encourage you to throw it off because God knows what he's talking about. So when it comes to looking at ourselves, we've learned this, okay, that we need to get rid of the sin that entangles us and everything that hinders us. Now, before we move on, let me do a little review so you're all on the same page. This is what the writer of Hebrews has said so far. If we're going to run this race effectively, we have to look at the finishers. We have to look at ourselves, the sin that entangles, the things that hinder. And the last thing he says is this, is that we need to look at Jesus. And look what it says at the end of verse 3. It says, and let, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We need to look to Jesus because he gets it. And he gets us. I love this idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus because when you fix your eyes on something, it is like laser focus. You do not get distracted. 
Now understand this. When it comes to faith, Jesus gets it. Why? Because the passage says he pioneered and perfected faith. We, ha- we can have faith today because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's why we have faith. In fact, Jesus foretold this in the Gospel of John when he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen to me. Who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for us is the crux of our faith. Without it, we have no faith. In fact, this is what I want you to think of. I want you to think of a bow tie, okay, that, that begins big and it kind of comes down. And I want you to think that this is the beginning of time, okay? This is the end of time. For those who lived here, faith was this. It was believing in what Jesus would do. For us, who are on this stage on the timeline, it's believing in what Jesus has done. And this is the cool thing. Faith, from the beginning of time to the end of time, comes down to this one point. And that point is Jesus. This passage says this, that Jesus is the focus of our faith. So when it comes to faith, Jesus gets it because he is it. Did you get that? Now, don't miss this part. Jesus also gets us. Jesus came to this earth to live among us so he could identify with us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this earlier in his letter, in Hebrews chapter 4, 15, he says this, uh, for we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, this is important, yet he did not sin. We can focus our eyes on Jesus because Jesus identifies with us. He has experienced everything that we're experiencing. And what he's done is this, is he's given us an amazing example to follow. And so, as we run this race, if we want to run it effectively, we have to look at the finishers, those who have gone before us, those who have finished strong. We need to look at ourselves, the sin that so easily entangles, everything that hinders, we've got to throw them off. And we've got to look at Jesus, because when it comes to our faith, he is the author or the pioneer and perfecter of that faith. Now, I don't want to leave us here at this point because I don't think it's enough just to know how to run. We have also got to know how to finish. You see, this race isn't about winning. It's about finishing. I read this somewhere, and it really hit me. It said this, it's not about how you start, It's about how you finish. It's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. And I heard a story from the life of Billy Graham that kind of drives this point home. And it was a story about his best friend by the name of Charles Templeton. Both worked for Youth for Christ, in fact, that's how they met. Billy Graham was Youth for Christ United States or USA. Charles Templeton was Youth for Christ Canada. He actually lived in Toronto, which is interesting. And the thing about Charles was this, is Charles was considered one of the greatest evangelists 
of that time, perhaps even more famous than Billy Graham. In fact, in his memoirs, in his life story, he says this, is that Charles, Billy himself said this, that Charles Templeton was a far better speaker than me. He was. He had a far greater gifting in speaking. But somewhere along the line, he got sidetracked. He got distracted from the race. And before his life ended, he wrote a book called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Okay. Now, I asked my son, hey, Bob, do you know who Billy Graham is? He's like, Dad, of course I know who Billy Graham is. Everyone knows who Billy Graham is. He's probably one of those, you know, of, of my time, one of the most, you know, godly people who have lived their life in a way that set a huge example. He sat down with most of all these presidents, and he was world-renowned, and he lived a life that reflected God. And then I asked him, hey, Bob, do you know who Charles Templeton is? He's like, I have no idea. I don't know. Because it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Now, as I've gotten older, I realize I'm getting closer to that finishing line. It just happens, right? And God has really stirred in me this desire to finish strong. I really want to finish strong. In fact, a few, a few weeks ago, God brought this verse to my mind, and every so long he'll bring a verse and show it to me, and it kind of stuck with me. And it's the words of Paul, and it's in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I believe. Yeah, that's where it is. And um, it's Paul looking back at his ministry, and he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And you know, there are verses I read in the Bible that just sends chills down my spine because every time I read this, I know that deep within me, this is what I want. In fact, when God showed me this verse, I knew about this verse, but he just kind of showed it to me. And as I memorized it, I kind of made it to my own. I kind of made it a motivational statement. And so what I try to do every morning before I get going is I repeat this to myself. I am going to fight the good fight. I am going to run the race and I'm going to keep the faith. And I'm going to keep saying that to myself until I can appear before God and I can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So, with our time remaining, and very quickly I'm going to do this, is I want to get really practical. I want to give us some things that we can do so that we can echo those words about our life. And so I want you to get I want to give you one word, and the word is this, relationships. If we want to finish strong, it's all about the kind of relationships that we have. First and foremost, it's our relationship with God. There is no way, there is no way that we can expect to finish strong if our relationship with God isn't constantly growing. Hear that? There's no way that we can expect to finish strong if our relationship with God isn't constantly growing. Now, I heard this about 10 years ago. It was a video I watched. It impacted me. The youth are tired of me saying this because I repeat it over and over again. You probably heard this too, but I'm going to say it again because you know what? Some things are worth repeating, and it's this. From the moment that you were born 
to the moment you die, they say you have 40 million minutes. They say for about two years, you're gonna spend two years in the bathroom. I don't know what you're doing. I don't wanna know what you're doing. Ladies, you're probably in the bathroom a little longer than that, okay? Guys, maybe not as much, right? But two years. We're gonna spend nine years plus sitting in front of a screen of some kind. But this is the part I don't want you to remember, I don't want you to forget. They say this, that the average Christian will spend less than seven months with God in their entire life. Less than seven months with God. So let me ask you this. What kind of relationship are we going to have with God if that's all the time that we're willing to invest? This is the question. And how can we possibly expect to finish strong? if that's all the time we give to God. Now, I think these questions cut every one of us to the core. Why? Because they're tough questions. But even though they're tough questions, they're questions that we have to wrestle with because in order to finish strong, listen to me, our relationship with God has to be strong. And that means that you have to invest time with him. And get this, Satan knows that. And that is why, if you're being honest this morning, every one of us struggle to spend time with God in his word and prayer. Because you would think, it's so easy to do. Why aren't we doing it? But if I had had you put your hand up, how many spend time with God today? I think we'd be embarrassed because we all struggle with it. But see, it's so easy, or so easy to do, but it's so difficult to do because Satan knows this, is that if you do it, what that means is this, is your relationship with God will become strengthened. He doesn't want that. Because if that happens, he loses control in our lives. And if we're being honest this morning, if we're being transparent, I can probably hazard a guess, I speak it for myself, that Satan probably has more control in our lives than we really want, if we're being real. Right, And so he knows that if you don't spend time in God's word or pray, your relationship will not be strengthened and he will, he will keep control. But God also knows if you spend time with me, then you're going to do amazing things with me and for me. And so we need to understand this, and I believe this all in my heart as well. Our relationship with God, listen to me, is more than a half an hour or an hour every morning. I think it's great. We get up, I get up and I spend time with God. I think it's great. But I think this relationship with God is more than that. It is not an event in our day. It's not. It's a lifestyle that we embrace. And Jesus is a perfect example of that because throughout his ministry, Jesus was constantly connected to the Father. It actually embedded the daily rhythm of his life. You see, spending time with God, I'm I'm just going to blow this myth out of the water, spending time with God isn't checking in with him. It's not checking in. It's the idea of walking with him throughout our lives. That's first and foremost. If we want to finish strong, we've got to make sure our relationship with God is strong. And we can't be messing around with that. Of all the things you do in the day, if you don't spend time with God, you have wasted your day. 
I heard this somewhere and it's kind of like, it's so true. That's so true. Because that's how important this is because this is not a battle against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of darkness. We're not talking about physical here. We're talking about eternal salvation. Growing in God, being an impact in this world that God has placed us in. So, relationship with God. The second part and the last part I want to share with you is this. Is relationship with others. We are not meant to run this race alone. God has given us this community of believers, this church. He's given us the body of Christ. And we need each other if we're going to finish strong. I read this book a few years ago that kind of got me thinking about this. It was called Finish Well, or Finishing Well. And in this book, it talked about that all believers, we need to have three kinds of relationships in our lives if we want to finish strong. And I'll quickly share those relationships with you because I think they're really cool. The first one is this, is we have a relationship with someone who is running ahead of us in this race who can kind of pour into us. Someone with experience and someone who can call us out. I have someone like that in my life. I'm, gonna, I'm kind of got embarrassed this morning. Jim Train does that for me. Jim's the kind of guy, he takes a spiritual two by four, hits me across the head, and I'm thinking, thank you, all right? Because I know he loves me. But he's running ahead of me, a lot further ahead of me, I'm saying. No, I'm joking, dude, all right? But he's pouring into me, right? The second relationship we need to have is this, is a relationship with someone who is running with us, who can encourage us. Someone who's going to experience the same things that we're experiencing, and we can kind of help each other through, through the ups and downs. I have people in my life, I have a bunch of guys who we run together with, and we encourage each other, and we go, oh man, I screwed up. And it's like, okay, man, I'll pray for you. Oh, I screwed up, and that's it. But we're doing it together, and it's messy. But I like messy. And here's a, here's a weird thing, is as guys, these guys, we've actually cried together. I know, guys, it's weird, but it's cool, right? But we need those people that come alongside of us. And so we have someone who, follow, who, who we can follow as they follow Christ, right? We have someone who can run with us and encourage us. And the last one is this, and this is really important, is we need to have a relationship with someone who is running behind us. And I would say this, that this relationship is just as important as the other two. And the reason why is because when you realize that someone is watching you and following you, your kids, I think you take this spiritual race a lot more seriously. Because you realize this, that your actions not only affect you, but those who follow you. And so we need someone that's following us as we follow Christ. Now, can I make a plug here as a youth pastor and as a dad? Listen to me. When your kids hit grade six, seven, and eight, roughly, I think this kind of relationship is just as important for them as it is for us. They need to be pouring into younger kids. And the reason why is because when they pour into younger kids, they see the impact of their faith or lack of faith on these kids' lives. I know from my two kids, we had them involved in ministry, uh, grade six, seven, eight, and it basically solidified their faith. I know I'm picking on Bobby this morning because he's the only one here because Em's working with the treehouse, but I remember when Bobby came home, he was grade six, and it was the first year that, uh, that he did day camp. 
His name was Chewy. That was his camp name. And, you know, at camp, all the kids loved Chewy. Oh, Chewy, 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 Chewy. And he came home with his grade six, and he was like, Dad, I can't believe this. These kids actually look up to me. I'm like, that's cool, Bob. And so I said to him, I said, what does that mean spiritually for you, though? And he sat there, and he thought for a minute. And he said, you know what, Dad, I think this is important. Because what I'm realizing is this, is I have got to live my life in a way that pleases God, because it's not only for me now, it's for these kids that look up to me. They're running behind me, and they want to follow me as I follow Christ, and so i got to make sure that I'm going in the right direction. You know, as the family pastor here at this church, Catherine and I are very, very strategical, and not only caring for your kids and for your youth, but also providing opportunities for them to grow in their faith. And one of the ways or one of the opportunities you provide is this, is opportunities for your kids to serve. If we all walk down at Temple's Trios right now, where your kids are, you will notice the majority of them are teenagers. Okay? If you dare come to day camp with the wild and craziness of it, the majority of our counselors are teenagers. They serve in Boys Extreme and Girls Alive. Our high school students, if you have a high school student, they actually serve as leaders in our junior high. And they're making a huge impact. Why? Because we realize the importance of having that relationship in every one of our lives because it keeps us, helps us understand how serious the spiritual race is. And we've got to keep running it. Now, there's two things about these relationships that are really important. Number one is this, is you've got to make sure you're all running the same direction. Right? You've got to follow someone as they follow Christ. And you've got to be following Christ together in this relationship. But those who follow you, the reason they're following you is because you are following Christ. Now, I want to give you a big idea. It's going to be on the screen here. Here's the big idea. Finishing strong means running together. Finishing strong means running together. And what that looks like is this. is connecting to Jesus and connecting to one another. Now, if you've been here for a while... You know the big idea. You know what we're all about here at Temple because Pastor Donald says it all the time, right? It's connecting people to who? To Jesus and to who? And to one another as we run this race together. So the writer of Hebrews has reminded us that we are in a spiritual race. How we run is to look at the finishers, those who have gone before us, those who have set the example, those who we can model our lives after, we have to look at ourselves and get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. As much as it's hard to talk about sin, we've got to get rid of that. Understand the process. It'll help you. And then we've got to throw off everything that hinders us, things that aren't bad, but things that slow us down. And then we've got to look to Jesus. He needs to be our focus because he gets faith because Jesus, like this first passage says, he is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And then Jesus also gets us because he knows what it's like to run this race. But when it comes to this race, remember this. It's not about winning. It's about finishing. And so if we're going to finish strong, it's all about relationships. Growing strong in our relationship with God and connecting with other, in our relationship with other believers. Having someone ahead of us who can pour into us having someone with us who can run with us and encourage us, having someone behind us 
who we can pour into. Because here's the big idea. Finishing strong means running together. Now, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. When everything is said and done, and my race is over, and I appear, and I appear before God, I still desperately want to hear God say this. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want that. But I also so desperately want to be able to echo the words of Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the fact that you've called us to run this race, and I thank you that you run with us, that you've provided all the things we need to finish strong. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you desire to have a relationship with us, but Lord, also that you have given us a relationship with other believers who we can run with. Lord, I pray that each one of us will look at our own lives and, and discover, do we have those relationships in our lives? And if we don't, Lord, I pray that we would do something today about it. Because, Lord, I know it's all of our prayers to be able to say when everything is done, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Thank you for speaking to us. The stuff that you've placed into our hearts, Lord, I pray now that we would go out and we put it to, we, we live it out. Live in a way that's going to make a difference in the places that you've put us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.